Go with me to Romans 10. That's where we're going to park today. By the way, in case I forget to tell you, we're going to scoot on the same subject. Nadine, you're going to love this. Next week, we're going to be in Hebrews 11. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to talk about faith and hope uh, next week. So hang in there. We'll stay with it. Um, are you watching any of the Olympics? Now, yes. You know, I'm kind of liking it. And uh, uh, I've, I've noticed that uh, um, several of those swimmers that we're watching in the, uh, in the tank, in the, I think I could water ski behind them. I think they're going that fast. Um, you know, uh, what a wonderful thing for these young people. Uh, what a sense of accomplishment they must have at reaching what many of them will say in an interview, it was my lifelong goal to get here. Well, what's your goal? You know, uh, many of us, if you're like me, I've got several goals I'm working on at any given time. But if your goal is eternal life, it might do well to zero in on Romans 10. And that's what we're going to do today. Um, uh, we've talked a lot about faith and hope in these weeks that we've been together. Let me give you a little bit of background. If, if you were to read in context Romans 9, you're going to read about uh, Paul's desire that his own race of people be saved. Look at 9.3, just kind of across the page. Uh, he's going to say, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Isn't that a strong statement? He basically says, I would give up my salvation for theirs. That's just a kind of an incredible thought. He's very concerned about his own people. And that concern continues in Romans 10. Uh, it begins with him writing, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. He's going to say uh, in 10.3, uh, he's going to call them zealous, but lacking knowledge, trying to pursue their own righteousness. Does that sound familiar to you? It kind of does, even in our day, doesn't it? So the idea here is that Paul is going to then in the chapter we're going to study today, proceed to contrast. He's been doing some of this already. Contrast righteousness based on keeping the law with righteousness available through uh, the gift of faith received through grace. Let's read about that. John, I'm going to depend on you a lot today. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Can you start at verse 5 in Romans 10 and read down through 13? Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. <clears throat> that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's just poetic, yes. isn't it? Yes. And wonderful. I, I really can't live without Romans 10. And we're going to especially dial into verse 9 and verse 13 in a bit. Um, a couple of places we need to go here in a minute. So let me, if, would somebody mind to go to Deuteronomy 30? And we're going to read, Dan, and read verse 12 through 14, if you don't mind. And then I need somebody to go to Matthew 10 and read, read verse 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Thank you, Sally. Ellie, I saw your hand. Can I get you to go then to um, Colossians 2.20? That'll get us the next few minutes together. Okay, you ready? Let's talk about this. Now, Paul is going to say that potentially at least there are two ways to obtain righteousness. And when I think of righteousness, I'm going to think of, because he's going to change this whole subject to center around this gift of eternal life. So there are two ways, potentially at least, to gain enough righteousness to get there. One would be um, uh, the righteousness. Um, well, hang on, hang on just a second. One, you can either keep the law perfectly. That's one way. Impossible. Okay. Which is pretty impossible. I don't know of anybody yet that did that. One person. Or, Right. We got one, one. one for one on that one. Um, Or righteousness may be be received uh, through grace by faith. Okay, now I want to read a couple of passages to you. So go to 2.13. It is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Okay, problem is that we don't always get it right. And he knows that even, even throughout Jewish history. Uh, 3.20, but by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Not freedom from it, but the knowledge of it. it it's, um, when I'm doing 55 miles an hour in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, and I see a speed limit sign, I am um, not justified by that, am I? I am, I am convicted by that. Uh-oh, I didn't know that was the limit. Now I do. Now I'm responsible for it. Okay? So, um, uh, or he says... The just will live by faith. We've been looking at that for several weeks. Look at 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, if righteousness and redemption and justification and all those things are by law keeping, the responsibility is squarely on me. Only on me. Can I give you a little hint? I can't do it. No. Okay? I can't do it. Uh, uh, certainly apart from uh, Jesus and his work in me. So he does this funny thing, a little play on words you, it's going to sound like, in verse 6 and 7, where he says, so don't worry about um, bringing Christ down or bringing him up. Um, and it's interesting that this is, he, it's, a, it's a play on words that actually Moses uses uh, a long time ago in, in the book of Deuteronomy. So, Dan, I'm going to ask you to go to Deuteronomy 30 and read 12 down through 14. It is not 
up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. I may come back to verse 14 in a minute, Dan, so hang on to it, okay? So the thought is, Moses, bar, uh, sorry, Paul borrows this from Moses, this thought. In order to get there, if I got to go up to heaven and get Jesus and bring him down, I can't do that, right? I can't get to heaven without him. Or do I have to descend into the depths of the sea and bring him up? By the way, <clears throat> God the Father already brought him up yes. in resurrection, right? right? So it's just, do you and I, as we read that, it's a little confusing. It can be a little bit ludicrous to think about, but it was something that they kind of had read from the end of Moses' long sermon in Deuteronomy. So the idea here is, okay, I can't go get him in heaven and bring him down. I can't go to the depths and bring him up. Rhonda, I just, just a minute ago happened to think about our good friend Eddie Bug, who is now in heaven. He used to sit and flail a piano, and he would sing, when I could not go to where he was, he came to me. That's my story. Is it yours? When I couldn't go to where he was, he came to me. That's kind of the gist of verse 6 and 7. So, we neither need to bring Christ down nor up. That's kind of taken care of. And so in verse 8, uh, he kind of deals with this idea of why do we not have to go there. Dan, read verse 14 from Deuteronomy 30 again. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Because the word is near. I don't have to do that. I've got it right here. The Holy Spirit whispers it to me all times of the day. It's close enough for me to hear it. It's close enough for me to speak it. I, I don't have to go to the heavens. I don't have to descend to the depths. So, in verse 9, he's going to say, that if you and I embrace the gospel, those who embrace the good news of the Lord Jesus will do at least two things. We'll declare him. What does it mean to declare somebody? Proclaim, speak it out. Speak it out, okay? Acknowledge him. Um, who, who said you'd read uh, Matthew 10, verse 32 and 33? Sally, there's a warning in here. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That, that came from Jesus. Those words are in red. I kind of got to deal with them then, don't I? Yes. So the idea here is, when given the opportunity, I have to verbalize Jesus as Lord. Acknowledge him. Uh, wouldn't you hate it 
If someday, when you have passed from this life, if you stood before the throne of the Father and you pointed to Jesus and said, He is my friend, wouldn't you hate it if Jesus said, I don't really, I don't really remember you? That's kind of what's happening here, I think. I, I love it when I see Mark fueling and he, he affirms me as his friend. One of these days, the guy that's the most important person in the room, because he's the most important person in all of eternity, in all the annals of human history, is going to say to you, he's with me. Amen. She's with me. It's going to be really important in that day, and it's really important now to prepare for that day that I acknowledge him as Lord, to speak it here. So that's kind of an external thing that needs to be done. And then secondly, he's going to say, not only do, um, here in verse 9, very important verse of Scripture, by the way, uh, not only is he going to say that I acknowledge him, confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord, but I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So that, that kind of idea is that I have, need to have a change in heart. Listen how Paul talks about his own change in heart. What was Paul like B.C., before Jesus? He was, he was proud of himself. He was working as hard as he could against what you and I are talking about here today. And here's what he says, Galatians 2.20. This is his testimony. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to the degrees such as? Is that 19 or 20? Um, there's another spot where he's going to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I don't even live anymore. So the internal is I got to change my mind about him. Got to have a change of heart here, a change in belief about him. So we said externally, I'm going to acknowledge who he is and who he is to me. Jesus is my friend. He's my savior. And internally, I'm going to acknowledge, I've had a change of heart about all this. I've had a change in my mind here. Both of these responses, verse 10, require faith. There are two expressions of faith that are talked about in verse 9 and 10. And these are more than one-time acts. Look, look again at verse 10. For with the heart a person believes. That's that change of heart. Resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses. Resulting in salvation. So there's that idea. One external, one internal. But both of them so vital. And what you've got to catch here. As you read verse, uh, verse 9 and 10. This is not a one shot deal. This is not. Well I confessed to him 45 years ago. It is moment by moment. There have been days this week where I've been so busy that I've gotten to the end of the day and I've had to confess to Jesus, Lord, I've forgotten to tell you how much I love you today. I've prayed, but have I told you that I love you? I, that ought to be a moment by moment thing. I don't need to get that busy, you know, right? right. You've heard the old story about the guy who... Uh, on their 50th wedding anniversary or so, his wife says, honey, you uh, don't tell me you love me anymore. And he says something to the effect of, well, I told you 50 years ago. If I, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. 
That wasn't Walt Northcutt, by the way. I didn't know. But it, it's a day-by-day day thing, isn't it? Okay, look at verse 11. To do this, to do these responses is just wise. Isaiah 28, 16 is quoted here, and it's also quoted in 933. You can see it a little easier in 933 back. Just as it's written below, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. In your NIV Bibles, it uses a different expression. But the idea here is to not be put to shame, to not be disappointed when the time comes. Uh, uh, Paul is actually quoting from the Greek version of, the, of, of Isaiah here. And it may be a little different in your NIV Bibles or, or, or when you read it. To, to respond in that way is just wise. It's not foolish. It's ultimately the most wise thing you can do. And verse 12, he's going to tell us there's no distinction. No distinction. Uh, he's going to basically say here, I think, that regardless of ethnicity, the requirement is faith. It doesn't matter who your dad is. It doesn't matter who your grandfather is, your grandmother. The basic requirement is faith. Someone once said it this way. Uh, in, in Paul's thinking, in his teaching here, righteousness, salvation, we'll talk about that in a bit, Justification is a matter of grace, not race. But to a lot of his audience, they thought it was about race. What blood was coursing through your body? Blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. There you go. That's what's coursing through me, the blood of Jesus. So it's not about race, where you came from. It's about grace. Who you know. And I get that. And faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Which is in this chapter. How can they hear if they have never, how can they believe if they have never yep. heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can the preacher preach except he's been saved? Now what she's doing is set me up for getting after you in just a minute. So we're going to do that, all right? Okay. It's not, a, it's a wonderful setup. It's not about race. It's about grace. Not about ethnicity at all. And so verse 13 is one of the most very vital passages from this chapter for sure. There are two important words in this 13th verse. The word anyone. It may be translated in your Bible, whoever. Okay. Everyone, anyone, whoever. That's the, one of the more important words here. The second important word is the word saved. Being saved is another way of saying that we are set right before God. And he basically says here in 1013, anyone, everyone, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The implications here, the implication here is that anyone, Everyone has this opportunity. Here's a project for you for tomorrow morning. Okay, you ready? This is simple. It's profound, but it's simple. 
Maybe you're going to the bank tomorrow. Maybe you're going to the office tomorrow. Uh, maybe you're going to the grocery store. Wherever you're going to be, just take a minute out of wherever you're going to be in some public place. You go into the mall. Maybe you walk at the mall. What I want you to do is, is just notice people. People. All different kinds of people. And what I'm going to share with you, according to verse 13, there is no one with whom you will lock eyes tomorrow who Jesus didn't die for. There's no one that you're ever going to find, no one you're ever going to talk to, no one that's ever going to work across the desk from you at the bank or at the grocery store that Jesus didn't die to save. Whoever. Anyone. Is that the word you had? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just do that little project tomorrow. Anybody you're with, just sometime during that conversation, think. Jesus died for him. Jesus died for her. Jesus died for them. Okay? What will that change about your heart if you really believe it? It'll help you see people in a totally different light. Especially those that drive you stark, raving crazy. Okay? Which I got a few of those in my life. All right? Wait a minute. You mean you died for, yeah? Okay. Get it? All right, that's, that's your assignment for tomorrow. Now, let's go to the next section. John, can I get, come back to you and read 14 down through 17? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. In a minute, I'm going to need somebody to go to John 1, verse 11 and 12. Who will get that? Mark, if you'll get it, that'd be great. If you would, ma'am, get Isaiah 53. I'm sorry, wrong, wrong passage, sorry. Acts 11, 17. Acts 11, 17. We'll get to both of those in just a minute. So hang in here with me. Now, you heard Nadine say it five minutes ago. The good news is good news, but it's got to be proclaimed. All right? Um, he restates this in eleven seventeen. He says it here in 11, uh, in 14, and he says it again in 17. What does it mean when a preacher or a teacher or a writer says something twice? It must be kind of important. Yeah, that's, I think it must be kind of important. So here in 14, in 10, 14, he says, how are they going to call on him who they not believe? How are they going to believe if they've not heard? How are they going to hear without a preacher? 17, he says basically the same thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So the idea here is that belief comes from hearing the word. Hearing comes from somebody sharing. The good news has to be proclaimed. And he uses then in this section a, an image um, from the work. And there was such a thing. He uses the work. The good news has to be proclaimed or shared. And he uses the image of a herald. Now, if your name is Harold, it's probably not spelled H-E-R-A-L-D. 
Although I knew one, Rhonda, you and I knew one in Eastern Kentucky whose name was spelled that way. Harold Green. You remember him? He sang in our choir. Um, so if your name is Harold, I'm going to guess it's spelled H-A-R-O-L-D. This is not that. This is, this is a job. It was literally... Um, it was literally an occupation was to be a herald. You remember in Christmas time, we'll have a little Christmas in August. By the way, it's August. Did you know that? Um, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Okay. Now, let me read you a little story. This is appropriate for, um, this is appropriate for Olympics week. Okay. Especially the Summer Olympics. The Persian fleet... Um, threatened the Greek peninsula in about 490 B.C. The leaders in Athens knew they had to rally their uh, forces to meet the threat. There seemed to be no hope for them, for the Persians vastly outnumbered the Greeks. Therefore, the elders of Athens decided to send an entreaty to the king of Sparta, a traditional enemy, to ask for help. So you got this idea that the Greeks are sending somebody to go to Sparta to find out if they can help them. And so they sent a man named Philippides as their emissary. He was a professional herald and a long-distance runner. He would have been in the Olympics, all right? Legend has it that Philippides ran to Sparta and back to Athens in four days, a 300-mile round trip. Wow. All right? Um, he returned with the news that the Spartans would not help. The Athenians had no time to wait, so they marched their forces into the plains of, guess where, Marathon, Interesting. And there they ambushed the invaders and won a great victory over the numerically superior Persian army. After this triumph at Marathon, our friend Philippides was called upon again. This time he ran to Athens. Guess how far it was? 26 miles. Yep. He ran to, uh, to Athens from Marathon, where he was, to announce the victory to his defenseless and terrified city. Legend has it that when he arrived at the city gates with only enough strength left to utter, rejoice, we conquer, and he fell dead. What a great story. I never heard that story till this week. Mar it brings a new meaning to Marathon, doesn't it? All right. He was a herald. So the idea here is that the imagery in verse 15 comes from the work of Philippides, from a, from a herald. This would have been somewhat contemporary with, with Paul. He would have known that story. And so he says in verse 15, if their rejection, I'm sorry, wrong chapter. He says, how will they preach unless they're sent, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Don't you know that these dusty, sandal-shodden feet of our friend Philippides were beautiful to those who were receiving good news? That's you. It's the idea here that um, not everyone who hears is going to receive but sow the seed anyway. Who was it that uh, went to John 1 and 11 and 12? Mark? He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not everyone who hears will believe. 
Have you found that to be true in your life? Uh, maybe you've got somebody in your world, a coworker or a friend or a loved one, who has heard it over and over and over again, and yet talk to the hand. I'm not going to buy it. Uh, by the way, what Mark read said that Jesus came into his own people, to his own, uh, literally, the, the context of that is, to his own created things, you and me. And yet, many didn't receive him. But to those who did, he gave the right to become children of God. That's kind of that thought. So um, uh, the idea that not, not everybody who hears is going to receive. Isaiah begins his soaring 53rd chapter. He didn't know it was a 53rd chapter, though he added that later. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's kind of this hollow thought that the news of the cross, the message of the good news, will be listened to but not heard by some. Okay? But that doesn't give me an out not to share. If, if you look at, I think, in context, verse 17, that's so important here, that you've heard it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, the, the thought here is um, unheard or unshared means unreceived, definitely unheard. An unshared gospel I'm going to submit to you, is no gospel at all. Now, here's a, here's a different thought. You've heard as I have. Helen, I think Ralph and I talked about this a couple times. This was in his mind. But you've heard it said, um, and I forget who this is attributed to, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. <laughs> you've heard it. Yeah. Like Francis, it's not really true. I don't... It, it, was it even St. Francis that said it? I'm, I'm not really sure. Okay. The reason I don't think it's true, Dan, is because the statement is not true. Uh, the, the truth is, I think, that my words are primary and I back them up with the things I do. I, if I'm reading Romans 10, I am to live it in such a way, um, this is 1 Peter 3.15, so evidently Peter thought the same thing. I'm to live the life in such a way that people will say, what is different about you? And then I say, let me tell you, it's not what's different about me, it's who is different about me. Amen. And I tell you about Jesus. Amen. Janie Stewart used to get frustrated with me when we were working in evangelism explosion because I would use... I would use non-approved um, um, diagnostic questions that I still use, you know. I didn't do the, if you die tonight, you're going to go to heaven thing. I would just say, hey, pal, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. That was always a good thought starter. And Janie would look at me and say, only you can get away with that. I still use that question. Be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within you, but do so with gentleness and respect, Peter says in 1 Peter 3. So the idea here is 
an unshared gospel is going to be an unreceived gospel. So, um, back into what you're saying, uh, be not hearers of the word, but be ye doers. That's part of this too, right? But the idea is, I can't say, well, I'm working, I'm working at it, I'm working at it, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. But you remember what Sally read a little bit ago? If I'm asked to acknowledge him, I better do it. Because I want him to acknowledge me someday. All right? Read, 11, read um, Acts 11, 17. I want to I dial that just in the last couple of minutes on a formula that you'll find only, that I can find only one place in Scripture. It's right here, Acts, Acts 11, 17. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believe in the Lord, Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? The three words, okay, I left you three blanks on your page. You ready? Lord. Uh, by the way, the, as far as I know, Peter coined this. I can only find it so far at least one time used. Uh, a lot of them used Jesus Christ. That became kind of a title. But I think at least the first time it was used is in Acts 11, which she read a minute ago. Lord Jesus Christ. Let's unpack that for just a second in the waning couple of minutes here. All right? Uh, it's a formula or a title here, but I've got to get to know who that is. He is Lord. He's God, the creator, the sustainer of all. That's God the Father. But literally, when Peter uses the term Lord Jesus Christ, he's using the thought of Yahweh. That's God from the Old Testament. Lord. Jesus. It was a common name in, in uh, 6 AD and 33 AD, certainly. Uh, common name. Uh, do what? Currently in Mexico. Uh, Jesus is all over the place, right? But it, the thought here is that he took on this name as he took on a human life, God in the flesh. And it changed, according to Philippians 2, it changed the name forever. So he's Lord, Jesus, Yahweh, Jesus, Yeshua, and he's Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior of all. Now here's my question. Do you know whether those around you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? That's all important, that you know him as creator, sustainer, Lord of the universe, Jesus, the one who walked the planet and went to the cross for you and me, and Christ, my Savior, my Redeemer, the one who changed me. That's an all-important question for you and for anybody in your world that you care anything about. Can I just ask you to do this? Look at them. Remember to ask you to do that tomorrow. And consider how you might proclaim him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. Nadine? 
Salvation is a gift. Nothing I can do to get it. I just got to believe it in my heart and confess it with my mouth and I shall be saved. But it's a gift. It's nothing I can do. I can't work, do a whole lot of work and think I'm going to get it that way. I can't get it just because I'm doing a lot of good deeds. But I got to believe in Jesus Christ through faith. And it's just a gift. He just gives it to me. If there's one thing you got to do, it's right here in 10. You got to acknowledge him. You got to acknowledge him. Confess him. Confess him. Believe in your heart. I think that's the only thing I have to do by faith. Okay, we're going to go to Hebrews 11 next week. We're going to keep talking about this issue of faith. I hope you'll join me. See you there.